You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to a very special supplemental episode of The 602 Club. Um, We had a contest recently on the iTunes there. We did a review contest for everybody who went and wrote a review of iTunes, except for a few certain people, uh, people that have been on the show a lot or uh, work for the network. They weren't eligible but uh, and I, I think that uh, that's just kind of normal for uh, any kind of contest you do. Uh, uh, but we had our winner, and it was Scott Gilbert. And so tonight is is Scott's re- one of his rewards. Um, and so I am very pleased to welcome here to the six hundred two club. I hope Ruby's gotten something special for him. How's it going, Scott? It's going great. Nice to finally talk to you guys. It is great to have. I mean, we've. This is the first time I think we've ever done this. I think in the history of Trek FM, just to have a a listener get to have their own show. So you're making Trek FM history. (laughs) I'll try not to disappoint. (laughs) Well, I don't. I don't think that's uh, that's not what this is about. Because this is this is your award and this is your show. So I just wanted to to say you know thank you for for what you said on iTunes and the way that you interact on the Babel conference uh, it's it's really a fantastic thing to get to um, talk to the listeners in in such a, a a more you know friendly fashion we become this kind of strange found family and uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're part of, of the Trek FN family I'm glad glad to have found it well, this wasn't. A, uh, this is a great question. But how did you find? Uh, how did you end up finding Trek FM? What brought you to the network? Um, I know I was searching for. I think it was any podcast that had interviews with. I believe this is the case. The the writer of um, Physics of Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. And I think that brought me to uh, uh, Matterstream. I believe. Because I remember, at least early on, hearing some of the matter stream, and then later found that that was part of a wider network, and I was interested to hear more about Enterprise, and that's what led me to that the, the show about Enterprise. I tried to start from the beginning of that one, and then uh, the DS9 podcast that you're on, The Orb. Mm-hmm. So I just branched out from there. Awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, it's it's always fun to kind of hear how different people find the network and everybody kind of finds it in in a different way so um, i'm really glad that uh you know you you were able to pick that up and and uh, matter stream is honestly a great show and um chris has a a great time interviewing some really fascinating people on there uh and so it's it's uh what a cool entry point so well tonight too with us um just to to hang out in the 602 club with, with me and scott is bruce gibson and Bruce, uh, I'm glad you're here tonight. And, you know, I've never asked you, I, I don't think ever on air, and I don't know if we've gotten to share this before. How did you find Trek FM? So about five years ago, I uh, started a new job where I had a long commute, and I was looking for good podcasts, and especially Star Trek ones, because I found a couple of good Star Wars ones, but I never found a Star Trek one that I really liked. And then I stumbled upon uh, The Ready Room, and if I recall, and I've talked with this uh, through this with Chris, I think it was episode 14. And so I went wow, back. That's a and listened. long time ago. It was. And this was uh, when Greg Harbin, right? That That's mm-hmm. when he yeah. was on. And uh, I caught up on those previous episodes, and I've been listening ever since. And I just keep seeing one show being added after another, and there's so many now. Yeah, that's true. It, it's really taken off. Yeah, I find it's hard to keep up, but you don't really have to. I guess there's just always good content. Well, Scott, for you, what have become, you know, now that you're part of the Trek FM family and listening to the shows, what are some of your 
you know, favorite shows to listen to? Do you listen to them all or can you fit them all in? What are the, what are the things you yeah, end up listening to I every week? I them all in. I can't even fit in all the episodes of the uh, shows I particularly like. Like I've kind of fallen off of the Enterprise one, but I, I like to uh, listen to the Orb and um, Literary Tricks and I'm really excited for the Metatricks that just started. It kind of oh, yeah. goes along with my interest when I first found the network and diving in deeper to to stuff behind trick yeah no kidding uh, you know i think it's it's so cool that we can keep finding these different areas of star trek that star trek touches and it, it's so interesting that on a whole for the most part star trek pretty much touches all parts of life and uh, it creates a great conversation piece around any of that so that's awesome well, for you, okay, what was the thing that, uh, you know, everybody kind of has a story about what got them into fandom in the first place. Uh, what was the your entry point into fandom? I'd say definitely my dad. Uh, he was born in 51, and he grew up with the original series, remembered watching them when they were first airing. So as long as I've known, he's was a huge Star Trek fan, and I grew up in the, the 80s with the original movies and got to experience watching The Next Generation with my dad on a regular basis. So I really got into it then. And uh, it was always Star Trek first. I mean, I enjoyed Star Wars, but um, there's something, I don't know, that just drew me and made me think more about Star Trek. And I also was just really, besides just my imagination being stirred about the future, I actually was always fascinated by the special effects of things as well. Um, and that was true of the Star Wars stuff. I just said in the case of Star Wars, I was more interested in the making of than I was some of the, you know, rewatching the films over and over again. I think so that's you're kind the guy of what that... led me to computer animation, which is where I find myself now. Oh, that's awesome, man. So you're the guy who buys the Blu-ray, and then before you watch the film, you hit up the special effects features. I certainly have only bought DVDs because of the extra features. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I just picked up uh, Tomorrowland. As much as I, I like aspects of that movie, I think it's the extras that I'm more interested in watching. Yeah, I just actually watched through those, and, and it was really cool to see. And, you know, then when we're watching the movie again, I I kind of fell in love with that movie all over again. So I, I hope you'll like them. Because as part of the, the animation track that I took, we are also about storytelling. So I kind of just have a general interest in filmmaking as well, even though I haven't had the experience of working on much more than short animation. Wow, that's really cool, man. Uh, so for you, you had your first entry with Star Trek and the original series films. Did you get yeah. into the subsequent uh, shows? You know, did you become a TNG guy and watch through, you know, Deep Space Nine and Voyager sure. and then all the way through Enterprise? Or did it taper off somewhere for you? Well, so, yeah, I definitely got into Next Generation in a big way. Uh, that was a ritual, sort of with watching it with my dad. So fond memories of that. I... Uh, I can't remember what was happening. I did at school definitely was picking up by the time Deep Space Nine came out, but I had to watch it. I was a big enough fan that I remember it premiering around the same time as Battle. St I mean, uh, Babylon Five. Yeah. And even though it was that one seemed interesting, I, I was a diehard Trek fan at that point. So I made my choice. I felt like, and I stuck with it. I think my dad actually didn't really get into it, which I was surprised by. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think he did later in the re and when it when the reruns. I know at some point, probably around college, I uh, read the companion to Deep Space Nine, which I, which just filled me with even more nostalgia for it, and I had to go back and rewatch the series again from that perspective, having gotten all that behind the scenes info that I love so much. That may be one of the best behind the scenes books that I've ever read because absolutely. It yeah, I, it's extensive. It felt like the people that made it became characters of their own story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you talk about, you know, Ronald D. Moore or Iris Stephen Bear, and if you've read that book, you really do feel like you know those guys. And I always find it interesting to hear what they had intended, the obstacles they came up with, and the reasons maybe something turned out the way they 
that it did. I think also before that I had gotten The Making of Deep Space Nine, which was an equally thick book. Had a lot of cool sketches and you know, early concepts for Odo, and that was all super fascinating. But yeah, yeah. I got a lot of those those uh, technical manuals and all that through the Next Generation era. I, I just ate that up. Yeah, I no, I agree with you. I'm one of those people who really enjoyed the the behind the scenes stuff and in the faux technical stuff. You know, like I yeah. I still have the Deep Space Nine, uh, not just companion, but the technical manual on my shelf. And mm-hmm. um, you know, do you remember those blueprints for the Enterprise D that they had? That were just... I actually had somehow missed those when those first came out. I only got those a few years ago. And I definitely had that nostalgia that I had as a kid opening that up. Yeah, those things are crazy. And this is how ridiculous I am. I actually <laughs> I actually had them all laminated. And then I put them all on my wall so that I could flip through them like Colonel West in Star Trek VI. You know, like <laughs> I was that kid. Uh, that was me. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have done that completely if, if, if uh, you know, I didn't have a wife to say no. That, that would be the case right now. Luckily, my wife lets me do all the decorating, so uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome. I'm I'm not going to complain about it. But uh, yeah, I, you know, for me, uh, Star Wars was the first thing, but then Star Trek became the thing that. Yeah, I quickly came after that, and, you know, I've seen them all. I've seen every hour of Star Trek, and um, it's, you know, it's so expansive that it's it's hard to not kind of get lost in it. Um, you mentioned, before we move on, you mentioned that you also, uh, you know, listened to literary treks. Did you also get into the novels for Star Trek? I did. Uh, I haven't, I fell off of it around the relaunch stuff. I haven't read as many of those, but I was reading them a lot uh, when the shows were still airing. I remember when Deep Space Nine first started, I had picked up that Peter David, The Siege. Oh, yeah. I Mm -hmm. enjoyed that a lot. Uh, That was a a nice little uh, uh, almost horror story about a loose changeling on a station. I remember some pretty grisly scenes described in that. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because uh, Chris and I were doing an, an episode of, yeah, of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we were teasing that we were talking about that book, but no, it wasn't that one. It's funny to think back because uh, obviously they didn't know the characters as well then, right? Or the yeah. tone of the show, and that the tone of that book, at least as I remember it, was quite different from the way the show ended up. Yeah, <laughs> that happened a lot with those numbered novels for Star Trek. Those are those are really great memories to think back then because you used to go into the bookstores and it's you know like Walden books and B Dalton and there'd be shelf after shelf after shelf of Star Trek books and you just don't see that many in stores anymore but uh did you ever go and just is that is that the time when you were reading some of these novels when it was just filled with the shelves at the store? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay, I want to ask both of you guys what what are some of your favorite old school Trek novels, uh, Scott? W- what are some of those that you 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 read that still stand out to you? Uh, it's hard to remember some of the first ones. I think I did read so many that are kind of forgettable, but the Peter David ones always stood out to me. Um, and I I really like Judith and Garfield Reed Stevens. I so wish oh, yeah. they'd do mm-hmm. more. Um, I actually and I actually really got into the Shatner verse books, which I kind of attribute to Judith and Garfield Reed Stevens a lot more than the, the covers might indicate. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the Shatnerverse. So, uh, you, I'm, I'm right there with you, Scott. <laughs> Same here. They had, they had that, that uh, Garfield Reed Stevens quality that some of uh, their other later ones like Federation and um, the Millennium Trilogy it just has such an epic quality to them, calling back yeah. to so many different details of the show. And yeah, I thought the really characters really stuff. read true compared to some of the other novels I had read. Wow, you're hitting on all my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting here thinking the Millennium tra- uh, trailer, uh, s- sorry, trilogy, and I was just like, oh, if he doesn't mention it, I'm going to have to. I love that trilogy. It's been forever since I've read it. 
Oh, I, I, yeah, that was such a great way. Because I think it came, it had to have come out after the show ended, right? I mean, because it just covered from beginning to end, and then an alternate history too, an alternate version where the Dominion had won. It was just, it was great, and the way that they had uh, intended or played with the time travel in the first book without showing too much of their hand, dropping little hints. I mean, it was great. I mean, uh, but yeah. I, Oh, I was just going to say other Peter David ones like IQ and Imzadi, I think, might have been one of the first ones. Oh, yeah. Peter D- Peter David was great. Did Now, were, at, were you also reading comics at the time or just the novels? I think I picked up a couple random graphic novels, like Who Killed Captain Kirk and some others that I, I remember at a science museum. They had a Star Trek exhibit where they sold some comics, but I wasn't going to comic shops and, and picking up them up too much. Although I did get into the... Uh, Early voyages, the ones with Pike. Oh yeah, I'm sad yeah. to see that get canceled. Well, it's funny you mention who killed Captain Kirk because we are going to cover that on Literary Treks this year, oh. a little bit later down the road. So definitely have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. <laughs> Before I forget some of the other books, I think I had even started to list them because my memory is my recall is is not what I wish it would was. Thank goodness for uh, memory alpha. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, Another one, I can't remember the author's name, I'm sure you would, is the Crucible McCoy book. David R. George III, his Crucible series. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, and I definitely remember you interviewing him. I just, I read all the Crucible books, but the McCoy one stood out to me, probably because his character was my favorite. But I really love that sort of, uh, if you've seen that movie, Sliding Doors, that, mm-hmm. that idea of one choice or one difference and two timelines play out. It was really cool to see that. Uh, is, you, have you guys read that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great series. I really, in fact, I, I, I really liked um, how he dealt with the Kirk book and the very end there, which, spoiler alert, Kirk lives. It was awesome. <laughs> I have to admit, I don't remember the Kirk and Spock one as well. The McCoy one just stood out to me. I think the McCoy one was it was the longest of the three. As a matter of fact, I think if you add the Spock and Kirk ones together, it's probably the same amount of pages as the McCoy one. But I would say the McCoy one is probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Star Trek novel. That one was so good. It was it was two stories in one, basically, but all centered on one character. Yeah, and and like I said, one of my favorites. Another uh, couple of books. I don't remember the authors, uh, but. Star Trek uh, Enterprise, Dautilus and Dautilus's children. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm having trouble remembering some of the details from those stories, but I remember really enjoying it. And it, and it did have that sort of, was it time travel or alternate timeline element to it? Uh, oh, gosh. I haven't I haven't even looked at those books since they came out. Yeah, it's been so, a while for me, too. It, yeah. Was it Diane After, Carey that wrote them? Yeah. I don't remember. I think you're right. Don't have uh, memory but, beta yeah. up at the moment. Well, Scott, what are um, what are some of you know? Yeah, uh, you, you've got Star Trek. You you know, Star Wars is there for you too. What are some of the other fandoms that you've gotten into, uh, and the other things that have really fueled that kind of geek fire? Well, I mean, it's been a lot. Of, nothing is in terms of movies and. Um, shows nothing as strong as Star Trek. So I, I tend to gravitate towards a lot of sci-fi that has to do with space or time travel. Um, and I'm, I'm, I think I realized recently that a lot of my favorite stuff have scientists as main characters trying to do good, like The Flash, even if the science is a little sketchy. It's fun. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> I got into. I guess Stargate was another one of those those franchises that I really followed all the way through, from the movie. Actually, from reading the novel, the novelization of the movie before the movie came out, because I was so excited for it, to watching the movie and then following the the three series. Although it kind of like Enterprise ended sooner than it was should have, um, you know, and then J- Joss Whedon stuff. I was a little bit late getting into that, but I really like all his shows. Do you have a a favorite show from Joss then? Well, just probably because of the space thing, obviously. It'd have to be uh, Firefly. 
But there was a lot of elements of Angel, especially in that last season, that I liked a lot. What about Battlestar Galactica? Did you get into that? So I knew of the original one. We, I, my dad was a fan of that one, too, but I didn't get into it then. And then I did watch the new one. I have mixed feelings about it, but I love the way it ended. I think it was just a little too dark for me in terms of mm-hmm. as a whole. I had that, I had trouble liking most of the characters except for Hilo. He was sort of the voice of, I don't know, sanity sometimes. <laughs> for for you, um, what was it about the ending that uh, really stood out to you and, and made that, uh, it sounds like, he, become more of a winner of a show for you than it would have been if, if it hadn't had that ending? I think I generally like positivity in shows, which might be why I'm attracted to Star Trek. Uh, that's one of the things I was especially attracted to Next Generation about. Um, the show got so depressing at times, I was afraid that they just, to keep with that theme, would have a really depressing ending. But instead, they did one of my favorite things, which is to have a hopeful ending that's also balanced with like a warning. So it leaves just enough to your imagination to ponder what things may reoccur. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point, and and being familiar with the old show, I, I you know I had some glee when that song, the original theme played yeah. as the ships went <laughs> off into the sunset. It was, it was a good moment. What have been some of your you know uh, we mentioned the, the Tomorrowland, and uh, you know that if I think for me was something that was huge. That whole message I really loved, um, and uh, what for you. What have been some of the films that you've liked recently, sci-fi-wise or other, um, that have been hopeful, that have really just captured your imagination? Uh, I'd say Interstellar is at the top of that list. Uh, Mm. That just had so much going on in it. The idea that, I mean, whether you think this science is a little sketchy, I like that they pushed it to uh, another dimension and... uh, Mm -hmm kept that character stories the strong part of it at the same time and i can yeah. imagine loving if they did do a continuation in tv form sort of just what how society and humanity goes on from there it, mm. it reminded me a lot also besides star trek i had read uh, arthur c clark starting with the books that were on my yeah. dad's shelf and then branching out so that's sort of hard sci-fi but uh pondering like bigger ideas I'm I'm with you. Uh, you know that movie for me, and I've just rewatched it recently. Was uh, just beyond phenomenal for me. Um, the it, it was incredible, um, and I, I still think it's it's one of the best movies I've seen in a really really long time. Um, so I, I am completely with you with that. Um, I saw well, an article recently. Asking a question whether or not we're in a golden age of sci-fi movies and a new golden mm-hmm. age, and I, I hope so, because I really did in, enjoy uh, also Gravity and The Martian. Yeah, I I agree that um, you know Gravity was uh, I thought just a, a completely interesting take on. I don't know the the it was a it was the strangeness of of uh, what it must be like to be in space and 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 to live that life and always be um, kind of knowing you you're always on the edge, um, mm-hmm. and obviously the 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 science in there of that storm is is iffy, but sure. uh, the uh, I think the emotion behind it was was really good. So um, did you see that uh, one season? television show got canceled uh, defying gravity a few years ago i didn't that was another one i really liked i was disappointed that i got canceled after a season especially mm-hmm. the last aired episode was such a unsatisfying cliffhanger i was happy to see some resolution on the dvds unreleased episodes but uh it so i guess if you haven't seen it it's um i can't remember the main actor's name from office space Mm-hmm. He's one of the astronauts. Um, John Krasinski, or uh, are you talking about the guy who played Michael Scott? Um, no, Office Space. The uh, oh, Office Space. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Ron Livingston. I think that's who that, that is. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. 
but they had a had a, a lost vibe to it in the sense that it kept flashing back to when they were training to be astronauts and then flashing forward to when they were on the mission, which was a mysterious mission that you only gradually find out about over the course of the season. That is pretty. That that sound does sound pretty cool. Um, they had a show that just it only lasted for like. I don't know, like three or four episodes or something, because it was a mini series, and then it didn't get continued. But Ascension, which was really an interesting idea, but yeah, unfortunately it didn't last that. either. So but yeah, I definitely saw that. Yeah, um, I just uh, you know they they do these shows, and I, I just wish that um, I don't know. I just feel like you just need to give some things more time to breathe and figure them out. And, uh, they just, they don't always do that in TV anymore, you know? So, and we've yeah. gotten, we gotten kind of lucky that something like say, um, you know, arrow, uh, paved the way for something so that they could do flash and that they could do, you know, uh, they'd want to do something like Supergirl on TV, uh, or legend of tomorrow and have all this stuff, you know, and, we're in a we're in a real golden age when it comes to that kind of stuff where they're willing to take those kind of risks, but you know a hard sci-fi TV show or you know just a different sci-fi TV show you just don't see as much of that anymore. And I was even thrilled by science nonfiction of the new Cosmos miniseries. I thought that was fantastic with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard I've heard pretty much nothing but good things. I have not gotten a chance to sit down and watch it there's so many things that uh i'm trying to <laughs> trying to get to um like sharknado f- right Matthew? uh no 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 not no no not in a hurry to get to that one no um trying to stay away from that one actually um but no i mean like i I'm josh talking with uh norm the other day and um you know he brought up on the babel conference uh Farscape and we were talking mm-hmm. about that and and how he said I'll let you watch that instead of Babylon 5 first uh, and so I was like well maybe because uh, my my wife might actually like it more which means it would be easier to watch <laughs> <laughs> yes I know that yeah that's the hardest part so, well, uh, what are some of the the things, uh, Scott? You know, you talked about really liking uh, uh, Flash. Um, let's talk a little Flash. Uh, you know, we haven't got to talk about that in the on the Six Hundred Two Club recently. How are you liking the new season? I'm warming up to it. There have been a couple of those end of episode teasers that are revealing what I was looking forward to about this series. And I, I, I don't know if it's okay to spoil or not, or yeah, we're gonna, we, if you haven't been watching Flash, guys, we're going to spoil it for you, so I'm sorry. But Scott and I are in the 602 Club, and we want to talk about The Flash. So so that said, the Tom Cavanaugh character was one of my favorites. Um, I know I knew that actor from when he was on NBC's rom-com called Ed. Ed! I love Ed! <laughs> That's like too. one of my favorite shows of all time! So I'm always interested to see him pop up and stuff because he has such a genuine likability about him. Yes. Perfect for that character. And it was a perfect uh, way to really throw you off whether you like him or not on the the Flash because you keep seeing those end of episode teases about his motivations. But I kept rooting for him even whenever he was playing that that, – that mentor character, I just I bought bought it. I like that you still think that there was some change of heart, even to the end, at least a little bit. Oh yeah. So to see to see him be reintroduced with this alternate universe stuff that I I enjoyed in the Fringe, and um, really looking forward to seeing how they handle that here in season two of Flash. Mm, yeah. I don't know if you watched Fringe or not. I did watch about two and a half seasons of Fringe. I haven't gotten a chance to go back and finish it. I'm realizing it was a very similar feeling for me in going into season two of Fringe where they had introduced the idea of parallel universes and then they kind of seemed to sweep it under the rug in the first episode of season two. But yeah, looking back, just like Flash seems to be, it 
they have to slow down in order to build up. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that's something that the with the Flash specifically, you know, what I love about the DC TV shows, and I've probably said this before on the show, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Um, what I love about those shows is, is the fact that they are not afraid to go for broke. You know, they if they want to do something, they just do it. There's no, like, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe season four will do Gorilla Grodd. No, season yeah. one. We're going to give you Gorilla Grodd. We're going to give you... And, and I, I really appreciate that about the shows because that that whole playing it safe thing just doesn't work especially when you're talking about you know a, a comic book format yeah, so they're not afraid to move it forward right exactly so i'm kind of, yeah and i i can't help but compare it to my experience watching all through season uh smallville yes and the things that they teased and then brought back and just couldn't quite yes. get there <laughs> oh my gosh! You're speaking. You're yeah. Say my name. That was so I don't annoying. Know what season it was that he started working <laughs> in Metropolis. I just wanted them to call it Metropolis or Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And then to hear well, the, they're yeah. bending over backwards to keep from doing that, saying that he's still commuting from Smallville, and I think someone even mentions the three-hour commute. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> No, that's it right. Does not in, make sense. In the first season, Zoe mentioned. I think they went to a like uh, Clark said something about they went to a ball game in Metropolis. She's like, "Oh my gosh, the, that's three hours from here." And then next thing you know, in a few seasons later, it's like they're Metropolis. Then they go to Smallville, and then they're back to Metropolis and Smallville, all like in the same night. You know, it's like, well, that's a quick three hours. Well, it's a good thing that he is super fast, so it takes him like point two seconds to get there, but still. Still, come on. It's yeah. a little ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I just want to say, though, I, I think that could be edited down to a really good miniseries, that series. But it was a bit I, hard to, yeah. was it 10 seasons? It was 10 seasons. Um, yeah. I do have to say, though, uh, I, I for me, I'm a, Superman is my favorite character. And I I remember watching Smallville and, you know, it was, oh gosh, it's kind of a weird thing uh, to talk about, but I remember sitting down to watch that show in 2001 in October, and, mm. you know, we had just been through 9-11, and uh, watching a show like that, about a hero like that, it, it meant a lot, you know, and, and for all the retarded things that happened in that series... Mm. Um, I, I have a huge love for that show and, and I, I still do, you know, um, they, they did some really interesting things and honestly, without that show, they're the ones who really pioneered what we got in, you know, Flash and, and, and Arrow, uh, and the subsequent shows they're going to do that. I think, um, without Smallville, we would never have gotten that show. Um, yeah, I uh, see the other shows and I, so. I had all that excitement going into it too, and I actually do a big Superman fan. Maybe not as big as you. I mean, I've had my <laughs> problems with the the new the new one, mm -hmm. but uh, I loved. I've read I've read some Superman books that I thought were really good, and mm -hmm. I was through Superman with the the death of and the mm -hmm. reign of Superman and the, yeah. Uh, oh, all I, the I good don't stuff. think that he's given as enough credit for being an interesting character. Yeah. Oh, man. And I think I the scene that I always think of is in that uh, the Christopher Reeves one, except it was when it was, he was still in Smallville, played by the other actor, saying how with all his powers he couldn't save his dad. That, that just sort of spoke volumes to me. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that I think is... is um, I think it's so special about Superman is that, like you were saying... Uh, he does have all these ridiculous powers, and yet there is a limit to to what he can do. But by having these powers too, he is never going to be one of us. And that's kind of in some ways what Superman 
you know, Clark wants. Sometimes I think he would just like to be a regular dude. Um, mm. And so Superman, I think, is is ultimately one of the most relatable superheroes, and he's the first superhero, but he's already an outsider. And, you know, when you write Superman like that, and that's what the true what they're doing in the New 52 right now, his, his cover's been blown, everybody knows he's Clark Kent, and he's been depowered quite a bit. Um, and yeah, he, but he's still an outsider. He's never going to be human, you know, and people kind of still look at him in the same way that, you know, we look at people that might be different from us, you know? And so again, Superman is, is one of the most, I, I, he's really one of the most relatable characters out there. It's just about how you write him, you know? And when you write with that angle, which, you know, Earth One has done, um, the Earth One series uh, that Michael J. Uh, J. Michael Skravinsky has written, um, the New Fifty Two has taken that road with him as well. I, I think it, it, Superman shows that he's still a viable character and one of the most important characters, even after seventy five years. I definitely look forward to getting my hands on the graphic novels of some of those more recent ones that I've missed. You know what I'd do? Um, I'd say start with uh, you know, really action comics. Uh, I think it's the Greg Pak run, and it's around issue 25. It's just fantastic start. Um, and I think probably around the fifth volume of the, the regular Superman title is a good place to start as well. Uh, so I, I think you... And I, I've been reading... I've read them all um, since the new 52 has started, but uh, you know, those are, ha- have been fantastic all the way to now. It's just been really fascinating. So I, I think you'll in- enjoy it, especially with uh, the, 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 um, the Superman that, you know, uh, you liked and loved. So I guess before we get off Superman, I just, I was going to say, I, I liked some of those, smaller, more digestible storylines like Red Sun. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mentioned I read a novel. One, I wish I could remember the name of it. I don't know if it's just called It's Superman. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was the one that took place in the 30s? Yes, that's the one where it, uh, it's early in his life and he kind of becomes like um, almost like a hobo or going on a traveling circus or something like that. <laughs> I thought it was definitely very interesting. It was interesting the way they played that he. He, he's a good guy, but he's a little simple. <laughs> that comes up a few times. Uh, and a, a nice contrast when he's finally, you know, interacting with, or uh, Lex Luthor is aware of him. Lex Luthor being very smart and not understanding why people are so enamored with this guy that can't give an interview. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really good read. It's it's one of my favorites of Superman Tales, that uh, that novel. It's really good. I think it's uh, uh, DeHaven, I think it was the last name of the author, Drew or something like that. But yeah, it, it's something worth checking out if no one's ever listened, uh, no one's ever read it. I would it, highly recommend it. If you've never read it too, Scott, uh, I, and I recommend to anybody who's listening, uh, a great book by Larry Ty, it's it's kind of like the bio- biography of Superman and his history all together. Uh, it's called Superman, the High-Flying History of America's Most Enduring Hero. And man, that book is good. Um, he does such a great job of talking about why Superman matters and why he's lasted for so long and, and just really kind of the importance of that character. And I, I it's... It is phenomenal, and 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 I I say that too because even if you don't really like Superman, um, I, I think Larry could make anybody a Superman fan by mm. showing them what really is so phenomenal uh, about this character and the things that they might have missed. Because I think everybody thinks they know Superman, um, but a lot of people really haven't read Superman. And, uh, or, you know, they haven't really spent a lot of time with the character. So, yeah, I really, I highly recommend that book to anyone. It's just, it really is completely and utterly fantastic. So, cool. Uh, yeah, I don't remember getting into too many other comics. I mean, I remember collecting Spider Man around the time that they, 
McFarlane was drawing them. Um, oh, cool. Had an interesting style to it, but I think I uh, later started liking uh, Umberto Ramos' run of Spider-Man's that style. And he did some Superman, too, I think. So I found myself kind of drawn to comics by the art a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for being a guy who is, you know, you you do animation, that really does kind of make sense that you would really get drawn to artists and comics and stuff. So, has there has there been for you like um, you know, you you I I I I can I can hear that you're probably not the biggest uh, Man of Steel fan. Um, but ha- has there been uh some comic book films, you know, aside from, you know, Superman, the original movie that have, that have stood out for you, that have been your favorites that you kind of go back to and watch over and over again? Well, I think I've mentioned this on Babel. I, I understand expectations can make, completely make or break my interest mm-hmm. in something. If something's overblown, like I had super high expectations for Superman, a man of steel, I mean, because of everything I'd seen about it and you're coming off of Superman Returns, which I had issues with, even though actually it was fun to work on the video game based on the movie. Oh, wow. But, That's awesome. But the game bombed. Yeah, it was. For a lot of uh, understandable reasons. Yeah. Um, so I was, I, the expectations there, I think, were just too high. And I had my own ideas of what mm-hmm. I wanted to see in a Superman character. And some of it was there. And like Smallville, I really loved the casting. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of some other stuff they did there that I found questionable yeah. um, or unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas some comics movies that I had no um, association to their their uh, source material, like The Watchmen and Iron Man, were two movies that I loved seeing in the theaters because I really didn't know what to expect. So I guess I didn't have any expectations at all, other than the trailer looked cool. Yeah, I think I think so many people were uh, completely taken off guard by the fact that Iron Man came out and it was good. I mean, we remember we were talking about that on uh, the Six O Two Club when we reviewed it, and it really was a film that I, nobody was really expecting. Um, you know, the majority of America didn't know who Iron Man was at the time. And they made a great movie. It's still a great movie. So, yeah. I was already a fan of... of uh, um, <laughs> I am blanking on his name. The main character, I should know this. Tony Stark. The, the actor. Oh, Robert Downey Jr., yeah. Robert Downey Jr., yeah. I was already a big fan of his, despite going blank on his name. Uh, liking uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Excellent. And, um... Actually, even uh, Heart and Souls, romantic comedy. Oh but. yeah, no, I remember that one. Yeah, no, he and and he was. That was another thing. I mean, they took a chance on a guy that he had been something, and he had had a lot of troubles, and he came yeah. in and he just rocked that film. I mean, he yeah. he really he really made the most of his opportunity to in his comeback, and so you got to applaud him for. For that, and, and two, I mean, he, he really turned his life around and, and, and showed that, you know, you can... I mean, it's just a great story all around for him. So, uh, yeah, I think that was one of the things that was so cool about it. It's, it's, uh, you know, he he made it work the entire time, you know, and uh, he's continued to stay that guy. So that's really cool. And then the only other comic book movie that really stood out to me, I think, earlier before the Marvel stuff was just... Spider-Man 2, the uh, mm-hmm. Tobey Maguire one, mainly because of Doc, Doc, Doc Ock. I think he stands out as one of the best comic book villains in a movie. I wonder if it would stand up if I went back and watched it now, but at the time I definitely thought so. No, I, I actually agree with you. That's um, Of those Raimi Spider-Mans, uh, uh, the, that's the only one that I really like. Um, the problem I had with the Green Goblin in the first movie, the scenes they he was talking to Spider-Man in a mask. It felt too Power Rangers. Yes, exactly. He <laughs> felt like a Power Rangers villain. Yeah. Yeah, where you got the emotion of Doc Ock and, and Alfred Molina, great actor too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you are so on 
my friend. Uh, yeah, Spider-Man Two is my favorite, by the way, too. Um, it, it I, I just, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't like the, the the original Spider-Man that they did, and then you know they brought out two, and it was just so much better because they avoided that fact that at least only one of them looked kind of like a Power Ranger. You know, that's the hard thing about Spider-Man is his face is covered up, so you don't see, you know, him. Re- reacting or talking you, you and the the actor has to be really good um yeah so yeah i i um i actually ended up liking uh the other spider-man films that they've done more recently better and but uh i was and i, I was like sad the first one yeah yeah the the first one is really good and i was just sad that they're not gonna get to finish uh what they were trying to do um you know, I, I'm just sad that they just weren't going to give him the space to to do it. So it's frustrating. Yeah. I was. Um, I can't. Remember. The the second one, the one with uh, the death of Gwen. Sorry, another spoiler. It's uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two. <laughs> that's actually just its name. Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man Two. Yeah, that yep. that scene that got me. That that got me emotionally. I, I just felt like the rest of the movie was so cramped, uh, packed of with other stuff made it hard for me to enjoy it as much as I did one, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't know for sure that they were going to do that. I knew that how it happened in the comic books. Yeah. So even them talking about their happy life, they're going to have together on top of that bridge. Right. I felt sorry. Not gonna, not gonna happen. You're you're going (laughs) to end up dead. Um, You know, so Yeah. No, that it, you're so right though. Um, I I'm gonna ask you because you know we've been we've been talking through all these films and whatnot. Uh, how do you feel about this whole thing where everything has to be a big franchise? I mean, so that nothing is just let's make the best. Okay, let's put it this way: let's make the best Spider-Man movie we can. Let's not worry about anything else, and and you know. Like, I, I don't understand why we don't do that anymore because, you know, you keep trying to make all of these franchises. I feel like that's kind of what gets us in trouble because we're not really focusing all of our energy on just one movie. We're 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 focusing all the energy on trying to make five movies. Yeah, that definitely bothers me. I like movies that are can be enjoyed on their own. I like it when they tie together, but... If I want a big overall arc, I want to see that on television where I can come in most you know, every, every week and have it wrap up pretty well at the end of the season. But I don't want to wait years for some resolution to something. That's my personal opinion. And yeah, I do see it being overdone. My worry with the Marvel movies is just how similar they kind of feel. Where there are things that I like about a lot of things that I like about uh, Ant-Man, but there are also things that feel formulaic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, Scott, we're like, we're like simpatico in that. Like, because I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I really like some of the things that they do. Um, and at the same time, like you said, there's just some things that you're adding so many layers that uh, it, it's not enjoyable to, to just I mean nobody can just go in and see Thor 3 when it comes out it's just not possible you know you need to have seen Thor 2 and Thor 1 and his run in in the other films and it you're just you're creating this thing that it, it's hard to keep up with um, and it's it's kind of fun but at the same time um it's it's such a behemoth that it, it becomes hard to to get into, and that's kind of I mean you do that with anything like uh, whether you know we talked about Star Trek books. Star Trek books kind of run into that issue too, you know, with all the interconnectivity they've had. So oh yeah, I mean, especially the relaunch ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been a hard entry way for me to. Yeah, so you know, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think. Um, you know, I think I too. I think again. That's where for me that the DC TV has really been smart. Um, 
they're not planning on adding any more shows to what they already have. Um, and, uh, you know, but like you said, it's a TV show too. So, you know, you have all this uh, ability to, to do these things. But at the same time, you're you're controlling it, you know, um, and you got more time to spend on everything. It, it's not just a, you know, we do one movie and then three years later you're going to see another movie, you know? You know, you just wait yeah. and come back next week. So, yeah. <laughs> which is the best part. <laughs> so Or wait till next season, which is only a couple months anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not three years. Yeah, there you go. So I, I'm just curious. I want to ask Scott, like, of course we're talking sci-fi, we're talking superheroes. Are there any other genres you're interested in that aren't necessarily considered geek? I mean, I like good characters. I like good writing. I'd say some non-sci-fi stuff that I really enjoyed. I really like Aaron Sorkin, like West mm-hmm. Wing and yeah. Newsroom. I was really sad that Studio 60 only lasts this season. I like the movies that he's written. It's something about the way he writes. I just I find really fascinating. It's not exactly like everybody talks, but it's it's more layered than most other television dialogue. I really appreciate that about those shows. Uh, Steve Jobs, my wife and I um, saw yeah, that looking forward to last that. weekend. Very good, very good. Uh, just it, the fascinating film. Uh, obviously, um, it is an artistic representation of Walter Isaacson's biography, so it's it's not factual in that way. Um, but uh, the character that they create of of Steve um, comes from all of that stuff um, in the book. So it is it is just it's a f- f- yeah it's phenomenal. So I think you're gonna love it as a Sorkin fan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it definitely. Uh, and the other other show I could think of that wasn't directly sci-fi is Freaks and Geeks, another one oh. season wonder, but something I really enjoyed too. Man, that's a great show. Sadly, only one season, but it's kind of a perfect first season. And there's lots of shows actually that only had a season that had were more grounded than something like Star Trek, but had that uh, twist to make it sci-fi possibly or something else going on psychologically i think of uh did you see that one season show awake i did not that's one i missed yeah same here had you heard of it at all um uh, i have heard of it yes british actor that plays draco malfoy's dad on the harry potter oh jason isaacs yeah 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 he's he's a dad and in the first episode they're in a car crash he, his wife, and his son, and he wakes up, and his son has was had perished in that accident, and he lives his day, and he goes to bed, and he wakes up in another world where his wife had passed away, and he has his son there, and you see those two lives that he's living. Whenever he falls asleep, he goes into the other one. I do remember seeing that. Interesting season. Yeah, that was maybe just a f- that wasn't that long ago, was it? It was just a few years ago. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Uh, it sounds like for you that you do uh, every year you do try some new TV shows uh, and give them a chance. I like those kind of high concept shows. Definitely try to try to keep an eye out for those unique shows, especially actors that I know I've liked in other things. Yes, like Ed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another show I loved, but again, it has sci-fi twist to it. Is Briscoe County Junior. Yes. That, yes. Uh, for me, Bruce Campbell is Briscoe more than he is Ash, but that's just me. <laughs> I love that show. Did you ever get into Eureka? I've only seen a couple episodes, but it sounds like a show that you would have really liked. I definitely watched it and liked it. Um, I, I I didn't feel as fanatical about it as some of these other shows. It did mm. get quite a bit of time. I wouldn't say it overstated welcome, but, you know, it had its slow moments. Yeah. But a lot of likable characters and a lot of scientist characters. So, yeah, I absolutely loved it for those kind of reasons. Well, before I let you go, I wanted to to ask you. So I'm, I'm so glad that I found another Ed fan. <laughs> and I, 
I have all the shows. I, I found them somewhere online digitally because that's the oh, yeah? only way that you can get them. Um, yeah, they. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that on the show out loud, but anyway. Um, yeah, because you can't find them obviously on on unfortunately uh, DVD or anything. They're not on anything. So, but uh, I kind of wanted to ask you. So, who is your favorite character on that show? And did you have a favorite ten dollar bet? Jeez, I think you're asking some details I may have forgotten about. Um, I certainly liked Ed, but uh, what was the last thing you asked me? I was asking if you you remembered and if you had um, a favorite ten dollar bet. That's a detail I've forgotten, unfortunately. Okay, <laughs> it is those, kind of obscure. Those episodes that you <laughs> they so. For anybody who's listening and has no idea what we're talking about, Ed was a show where um, Tom Cavanaugh played a big city lawyer. He had the worst day at work. He comes home. He finds his wife sleeping with a mailman. According to her, she he just happened to be the mailman. So, um, and moves back home to his uh, small town, Ohio. Uh, hometown and uh to try and win back his uh, high school crush uh and ends up buying the bowling alley there and being the bowling alley lawyer uh and uh him and his best friend mike would do ten dollar bets which was hilarious uh Uh because if you threw down the ten dollar bet you had to do it or you paid the ten dollars and neither of them had ever not done the bet um so i think one of my yeah I think one of my favorite ones is where they're out to lunch and he, Mike's like, uh, Ed, $10 if uh, you order a burger. Okay, what's the catch? Uh, All you can say is burger me. So they're they're sitting there, of course, Ed, he can't say anything else. And and he just, the waitress like, so uh, what would you like to have? Burger me. So you want a burger then? Burger me. Did you want mustard or mayonnaise? Burger me. <laughs> the thing that really sells that scene, as I recall, is just how likable those two guys were. Yes, yes, yes. And the waitress is is the, the whole... Uh, she's. She, you can tell that she's trying not to laugh and be annoyed at the same time. Uh-huh. So, yeah, very, very funny. Um God, God, I was I was trying to keep track of all the things that we talked about, uh, and it was a lot. Yeah, but, we didn't uh, even touch on video games. No, we much. didn't even touch on video games, but that's a great thing. So when the show gets posted in um, the Babel Conference, everybody remember to ask Scott about his favorite video games. So... <laughs> Uh, and we'll have a whole great discussion there about uh, some of your favorite games. I'll let you answer the question, though, Scott. What are your top five favorite video games? Oh, top five. Uh, Secret of Mana. The first Fable. first Mass Effect. It's hard to choose between the Marios, but Super Mario World, I guess. Though I'm really loving Super Mario World 3D. So how many games is that so far? It seems like five. I think that's... I think that's five. Man, he didn't even name the new Tomb Raider, which I was a surprise. That's, wow, that's I might fit in Uncharted 2 in there. It's so similar. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good one, too. So, man. Okay. Scott is a well-rounded man. Uh, we have found that out on this show. But, um, hey, Scott, before we let you go, tell everybody where they can uh, find you online and, um, you know, where you're, uh, you know, whether hit you up on Twitter or Facebook or where where do you hang out these days online? I don't have a big presence online. I kind of have, uh, it's become narrowed down to actually the, the Babel Conference. That's kind of the, the favorite go-to spot on so Facebook in general and Babel Conference specifically. Awesome, man. Well, that's great for the listeners then because uh, they'll get an opportunity to uh, to talk to you there. And I, I really appreciate uh, all that you do for the network and uh, the reviews that you gave us on, on iTunes. It, it means the world. And I'm, I'm really glad uh, that we got an opportunity to catch up with you and talk about some of uh, your favorite things. And man, turned out that some of your favorite things are my favorite things too. 
I never would have thought I got to talk about Ed on the (laughs) 602 Club. I'll have to find those episodes, though, so I can remember it in half the detail that you seem to. (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) I watched that show all the way through when it came out, and then I had them, like, recorded on VHS tapes and stuff. So I've seen the show through probably at least twice, if not three (laughs) times. So, uh, and I still need to show it to my wife sometime, so... Well, thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate you being here with us tonight. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for all that you do with Trek FM and all the content you give. Awesome, man. Well, have a great night. You too. What's that? This, my friend, is a pint. It comes in paints. I'm getting one. You've got all half already. Well, Bruce, I have to say, you know, I love the listeners of Trek FM. And, and I really love uh, the listeners of the 602 Club and their dedication. And, and um, man, this was just a blast. I just, it's so awesome that um, Scott was on. And the amount, again, the amount of subjects that we covered was just insane. So, <laughs> well, what, what I learned, I actually learned something from this episode. And what I learned is something I guess I've known, but it really stood out to me to the, uh, this time is that, you know, we we're all part of this Trek FM family. And even if we have interests outside side of Star Trek, they're all very similar because there was a lot of things he named that were very that, that were favorites of mine, too. And of course, you were mentioning that that you guys were hitting a lot of the things that yeah, he liked, you I, liked also. I think that's the but thing that I love we're all about so similar podcasting, in a lot of ways. is that it's, it's so a way of bringing everybody together that likes all these different things. And, you know, I, I, fandom in general, I think you, you tend to just kind of roll from one thing to the next, you know? And, and um, there's so much out there to like. And you're always going to find somebody, oh, you like Star Wars too? Oh, you like Star Trek too? Oh, you love Dinner Stiller? Oh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Even Ed. Yeah, even Ed. So, goodness. Which I uh, never, did you ever see that show? I'm You've familiar okay. with it, but I never watched it, no. Well, that was the show that it was the first show, really, that I was like, I'm watching this show. Like, it was the show I chose that I was going to watch and it didn't have anything to do with my parents or anybody else at the house. And so that show has a a pretty big place for me. And then it just turned out to be uh, a fantastic show, too. And unfortunately, you can't find it. Uh, you, I think there's you can find the episodes now on YouTube. Um, but it's not on Netflix or it's it's not a DVD or anything, unfortunately. So... But, um, yeah, before we let everybody go, uh, you know, don't forget to check out the shows uh, on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. That's where uh, Scott gave us the great review. Uh, Don't forget we're running the special right now for the new Star Wars feed. If you review that, you're going to be entered to win the wonderful Master and Apprentice. That's right, the Ahsoka Invader 2-pack that I have. And that can be yours with the review of the 602 Club special Star Wars only feed. So check that out. Uh, if you're not an Apple user, though, uh, you can find us everywhere. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. You can go to the website and stream and download the MP3 files. And of course, you can get the RSS link as well. And I'd really like to thank our associate producers here through Patreon. It's because of these guys that the show keeps coming to you each week. We've got Ken Tripp and a brand new associate producer, Davis Grayson. Thank you so much, guys, for making this possible. We're the listener-supported network, so go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can become part of the team and help all the shows keep coming to you. We really try our best to make sure that these shows are pretty much ad-free and all you're listening to is the best quality content out there. And it's only through you guys to help make that happen. We thank you so much for being Patreon members. We've got the new Patreon zone. You can go to patreon.zone if you're a Patreon member. $5 a month you get in there. You can get access to content before anybody else. The shows get released there. We've got some great wallpapers, ringtones from favorite things you've heard on shows, 
ridiculous funny videos that Chris and I might post there when we're being retarded while we're recording. Uh, you, you, you know, we've just got so much stuff there. And then if you get the $25 level like Bruce, you can be on the round table as well. You've got listeners from all over the network on, from Patreon getting together with hosts from the network talking some amazing things about Star Trek every month. And it's just a great place to be. So check it out at patreon.com slash trekfm of course we're on trek.fm that's our website you can find us on twitter at trekfm facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and of course we've got the babel conference which is our listeners only discussion group type babel into the search field on facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar Bruce, before we let everybody go, tell everybody where they can find you online. And I know you've got your own five-star podcast to tell everybody out as well. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, that five-star podcast is the Cloud City Casino, and it's a Star Wars weekly podcast talking about gaming and collecting and all kinds of fandom within Star Wars. Uh, but uh, you will also find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And I am in the Babel conference quite often. And if I'm not there, then I'm probably passed out under the table here in the 602 Club. You can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I'm doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk only about Deep Space Nine. That's our Deep Space Nine exclusive podcast here on the network. And Literary Checks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek and interview the authors. You have also got my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 